0: Hello and welcome to YHTV's nominated show, Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzama, and with me is our wonderful medical guide and co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman.
1: Hello, Christina. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're jumping into your doctor's bag today, aren't we?
1: This is one of those days. Oh, I'm excited!
0: Days. I don't even know what it's about.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I, I'll give you a hint. Uh, it's about life.
0: Oh dear! I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> And it's it's about your life.
0: Oh my! Oh my! <laughs> Look out, everyone! The tsunami is gonna roll.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Greetings, everyone. Speaking about everyone. Uh, welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide along with. Christina today as we travel another galaxy quadrant uh, looking for optimal health. So as Christina already alluded, uh, it's going to be inside the doctor's bag today where I will uh, talk about some topics that are near and dear to me. Now, normally I uh, I usually present some scientific uh Information about different topics, but today i'm going to do something different. This is going to be no science it's going to be just some of my observations and thoughts about life, the beginning, the middle, and the end and uh, we'll see where it goes it It will be based on some observations, as I said, and I will claim actually no uh, technical knowledge to the highly specific degrees of child behaviorists and psychiatrists and psychotherapists. Uh, But we'll see where this goes.
0: Sounds great. Um, now, just to let our audience know, at any time during this, pre- uh, during this show, you are very welcome to ha- make a comment or ask a question of Dr. Woolman. Just type it into the box at the bottom of your screen and uh, we will make sure that it gets to him. He's very good about answering those questions.
1: <laughs> yes, even if we don't get to it during our show, uh, we will promise you we'll get to it. So, Christina, also today, going to be very important for me because you usually represent every person. We always talk about that, right? Where well, you're the every person. <laughs> the peanut represented. Gallery.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're
1: the peanut gallery. <laughs> so I'm going to bounce a lot of my proposed ideas off of you because they're going to be designed toward parents and kids. And uh, not being a parent, I can claim I've been a kid and parts of me still kid-like. <laughs> so I have some authority there, uh, but uh, as I said, in other areas, I don't necessarily have the authority, so I wanted to pick your brain as I go through this and see how comfortable you would feel with some of the things I'm going to potentially suggest today.
0: Sounds good. I'm all ready. Excellent. I'm all ears.
1: Uh, there you go. So obviously, people usually start when you talk about beginning, middle, and end uh, at the beginning, but I'm going to start in the middle, as you would expect from me. Uh, No?
0: Well, I thought you'd start at the end, actually, and work backwards. Uh, uh, (laughs) Or forward, really, is like the next life.
1: (laughs) Yeah, forward from the end. Well, that's probably where I am anyway. The middle probably could be the end.
0: (laughs) At every stage. (laughs) At
1: every stage, exactly. So I started thinking about uh, one of the stories about The early young Prince Siddhartha, who uh, got with his charioteer, I'm sure you probably know this story, where he went out among the people and he saw people suffering. And the people he saw suffering, he saw an example of a sick person suffering, and then he saw a person that was elderly suffering, and then he saw uh, a person, a corpse, and the suffering around that. And, and from that, a lot of his philosophies, his concerns about suffering and how to figure out a path toward the relief of suffering. Uh, so we know that story. So I was thinking about that, and I was I was thinking about uh, the suffering that I've seen in my own personal experiences, of course, like we all have, but also being... In medical school and going through medical school, going through internships and residencies and being in emergency medicine for many years in uh, major trauma centers and in rural communities, a number of areas. So I've seen a lot of people in suffering moments. And so uh, I have some experience there. And in my observations... Uh, in terms of suffering, what happens in people 's lives in the middle of their lives what i 'm seeing now this is why i 'm talking about the middle i 'm seeing more people that are are really getting injured and hurting themselves, so it 's not just about illness and elderly it 's there 's a lot more people in the middle middle age that are suffering now, and I think it 's because of things that they 're doing early on when All of us are usually immortal, um, and we feel like we can heal from everything. So the the sequence usually goes where somebody gets injured, and in many cases, they heal fine, but in other cases, they don't necessarily heal well. Then they get a recurrent injury. They start getting limitations of motion and mobility, uh, eventually go on to medications, have side effects from medications, go on different medications, more side effects, Adding integrative and alternative therapies, uh, surgery, post ops, recovery, physical therapy, uh, more injuries, more surgeries, and so on and so on. And that covers a lot of time and suffering. You know, that's over years and years that I'm watching people suffer. And so I wanted to figure and think about is there anything I could do about that, or at least think about in terms of, as you know, as a medical guide, I like to practice preparatory medicine along with preventive medicine. So we try to prevent illness and injury, uh, but we also try to prepare for them. So along with the suffering, the other thing that I've observed, and these are the two reasons for the show today, long story here, we only seem to learn as a species about things when we have a Substantial and sometimes life-altering event happen to us. That's when we become uh, enlightened, so to speak, about our health. And this is particularly what I'm talking about right now: health and uh, having healthy tissue and healthy, healthy cells. We only learn these things. We get told stories: "Be careful about this. Be careful about that. Don't do this. Don't do that." And we don't listen to that. Change your diet. Uh, exercise more, sleep more, de- de-stress, all of these things that we talk about. And we've talked about this on many, many shows. But taking the idea that we only learn from deeper experiences, uh, I've, I've thought of some ideas uh, for how we should maybe prepare kids in another way. And this is where I want to start talking to you. So one of the areas I'm going to talk about today, and of course we could talk about failure of uh, The entire body, we know the body eventually fails. We talk about congestive heart failure and kidney failure. You've heard those expressions, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so we know that. But what we're seeing more and more are bones, joints, ligaments, and tendons that are starting to fail much more uh, rapidly than they used to many years ago. And we don't stress enough about bones and joints and ligaments and tendons. Young kids are wanting to build muscles, you know, and go to the gym and work out and exercise to build muscles. But we don't spend as much time teaching a child to protect bones, joints, ligaments, and tendons. And I think this is an area that we need to look at. If you think about surgeries now, in orthopedic surgeries, you almost never hear of someone having a bicep replaced right? Or a tricep replaced, mm-hmm. but you do hear about a total knee, a total hip, a total shoulder. These are things that are being replaced and those are joints. So that's, what, that's where damage is occurring and that's where the suffering is occurring. And that suffering, as I expressed early, goes on for a really long period of time before you have the surgery. Nobody injures their Shoulder and then goes immediately for a total soldier shoulder they go for uh, they try and heal it just on with ice and heat and tylenol, and then they try to heal it uh, you know maybe with a sling immobilizing it, then an injection of some kind, a steroid injection multiple, but in between all of these are weeks and weeks and months and and years of suffering, so I think that we need to start teaching children about chronic pain and about bones, joints, ligaments, and tendons. So one of the things that I'm going to suggest, and this is for parents to consider doing with their child at a certain point in time, and I don't know when that is. We could have a child psychologist come on and tell us a good point. Even if they believe in this, they may not. But I think as an example, a child should have um an episode or a a challenge to put say a little pebble in their shoe where it's going to hurt a little bit and they have to limp a little bit and you take them around for 10 minutes, an hour, an entire day where they have to understand that. And then with that, make a connection to point out in your observations when you're with the child out in, uh, life, at a mall or shopping or at a farmer's market or at a ball game or something like that, people that have problems that are walking with canes and walking with crutches and limping and, and explaining to them, this is what chronic pain is, and this is how you might get it, by not caring for your joints and ligaments and tendons in the appropriate way. So my first question to you is, Christina, would you feel comfortable uh, taking your child and having him do that for a certain amount of time?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, for for me, it's always been about creating that level of awareness and consciousness from a very young age. I mean, uh-huh. uh, even since my child was born. You know, and starting the sign language and the visual languages and the touch right mm-hmm. from the moment he's born was really important. The music, the languages, and not having any expectation, but right. only knowledge, not coming from a scientific background or a medical background. The knowledge that our our brain is so powerful. And all my life growing up, you hear, oh, you only use a small percentage of your brain. <laughs> it's like... Woo, you know? yeah. <laughs> like, well, well uh, how, can, how can we expand that muscle in that baby, in that child? Mm-hmm. And, and really, from a very young age, I, I believe I would have done that when he was like two or three. Really? I, yeah, I would have. Mm-hmm. And I think it really depends on the child, too. My, my child being an only child and myself as an older parent. Uh, the child tends to be a little more mature, you know, uh, and and the way I brought him up, a little more mature. So at the age of three, he would have been ready to do that.
1: Yeah, and I don't, <clears throat> and that's why I'm I'm asking in your mind, and I think that for parents, it, someone it might be twelve or thirteen. Yes, you know, or at another age. But I really believe that a child should get an understanding of what pain could be like chronically and bring it into showing adults that are in chronic pain and these things i you know i mean we know that kids play sports and get hurt and it doesn't seem to teach them the lesson there so i'm just adding another part to it where uh it's promoted with connecting it to someone mm-hmm. who else who may have it as an elderly person and we certainly need to and this may be a real controversial topic too but I think we need to look at the sports that we' they're playing nowadays. <laughs> I have to say that when I was growing up, I loved contact sports, and I love contact sports watching them now. I don't play them anymore, but I love watching them uh but I really think you know we're seeing bigger and bigger people that have better anatomy and better physiology and better training, and these people. You know, football players at one point might have been five foot eight, weighing 150 pounds, and now they're six foot nine, weighing 320 pounds with armor on. <laughs> and and the a, new
0: gladiators <laughs> a,
1: exactly. And a, and a bonus if they uh, you know win things. So uh, it's very important to understand that these contact sports could be part of a process of chronic pain. And of Mm -hmm. course, we also talk about, I don't want to talk right now about brain injuries and concussions. Those are totally other topics, but it's still within the same realm. And as is spinal cord injuries, which uh, brings a whole level of suffering uh, to the individual and to families and friends. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I think that bones, joints, ligaments, and chronic pain need to be thought about, and that's one way to think about it. So I'm going to move on unless you wanted to bring something else up that you thought would be good.
0: Well, you know, Glenn, um, you know, being immersed in the the school systems and uh, learning about the different levels of elementary school, middle school, you know, uh, high school, um, I was just in a conversation recently when you talk about bones and ligaments uh, because of the Cutbacks that our country here in the US has, um, has basically been involved with. The schools actually don't even, the elementary schools don't even have a phys ed teacher. So the days where we were growing up and we learned to stretch, to warm up the muscles, to do sit ups properly, to Mm -hmm. climb a rope. You know, to <clears throat> play basketball, but to warm up the muscles before we do that, those days are gone, right now. Um, and then these children go to middle school when they're eleven years old, and I was uh, told by one parent just a few days ago, said, "Oh my gosh, my son went uh, had a phys ed class and he failed phys ed because." He couldn't run a 15-minute mile at 11 years old, Mm. okay, which I was in shock because we walk a mile. We walk a mile almost every morning with our six-year-old son, and, you know, he's walked that mile (laughs) since he was two and a half years old, and it's not a flat mile. It is a hilly mile. And to hear this parent complain that her child could not do a 15-minute mile, and as the year is going to go on, they break it down to 14 minutes and then 13 minutes so that the child, you know, basically starts to improve on their stamina, etc. Mm-hmm. The parent was totally against it. And you- it shocked me. Because I said, you know, my six-year-old does that, mile, and she was in shock. And I said, well, what about going for walks with your child? What about, you know, this is up and coming. It's like any muscle. It's like when we are working academically and you're learning mathematics, you know, you need to increase and increase and get better and you get tested each time. There's no difference physically. It's about bringing the body up to a certain standard of wellness and they couldn't understand that because they never got it in elementary school.
1: Do you think that, you obviously think that these kind of things, do you think that you would consider that in a school they put a pebble in every child's foot for a half hour? let them walk I around? think they
0: should put a uh, rock in the shul- shoe of administrators <laughs> 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 to say, you see what's going to happen to the next generation yeah. if, we don't, if we don't wisen up. Yeah. on our education that we're actually giving these children and the parents.
1: Yeah. As part of that also, you know, another possibility would be to put someone's arm in a sling for a day. So this is what it's like not to be able to use that arm that you like mm-hmm. using so much.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: I agree. So let's move on to the next one. I have a lot of things to cover. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have no idea okay. <laughs> or you have no idea about what I'm going to go. Okay. So the next one is eyes and vision. You know, we talk about macular degeneration and things like that and cataracts that happen in older age, but there's also injuries and infections and a number of things that can happen to a child. And I think it's important. And this is my next suggestion that I think you should put a mask on every child. And have that mask on them so they can't see. And again, pick a certain amount of time, make it five minutes, 10, an Mm -hmm. hour, or for an entire day, you're not going to be able to see. This is what not having vision is about. Mm -hmm. And this is why you need to protect your eyes. So if you go out into the sun, wear protective sunglasses. If you're going to be in some kind of a sport, wear protective goggles. If you're going to uh, be doing something, Uh, Like sawing down a tree or pounding a nail, something where there might be flying objects that could come and hit you in the eye, it's a good possibility that you should think about developing a pattern of behavior so that you're always protecting your eyes. So for me, the way to do that would be to take away the vision of a child for a while. And say that's, again, what it would be like if you lose your vision. This is why you need to protect your eyes. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think? Mm-hmm. I agree. I Would agree. You it's do like it? that. Pe- oh, of course. Of course. Okay. Actually, we we kind of do things like that. It's instead of a mask, we turn off all the lights when it's.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but you can't do that going outside.
0: No, 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 no. You can't do that going outside.
1: That's no. why I'm saying, you know, it, and, and it's easy, you know. As as a first step, certainly turning out the lights is a great idea because they still have the familiarity of. Of their house, they know their little room and their little things, so that still gives them an indication that they can get around but i I think taking it to an extreme and taking them for the you know for example, taking your child for his one mile walk blindfolded
0: oh, that would be fun
1: yeah. <laughs> and and it would be an amazing learning experience i when i I was teaching at a at one of our city colleges in adult education. Uh, program. I called it mind walks, spirit walks, where we, we did things. And part of it was, uh, Qigong and, uh, walking meditation. And each time I did something different with the people and I tried to work with senses sometimes. So we would take this walk on the beach and I would break people up into couples where one person would be blindfolded for the first part of the walk and the other would guide them or leave them alone, but just walk next to them. And let them deal, and then switch off. It was very fascinating the things that come from that. Of course, this was in meditation, and this was also, you know, in times that we were had just finished qigong. So there was a very meditative portion to it. But in the case where you're not really meditating, you just say, "Okay, we're going for our walk today," and you're not going to be able to see. This is what it would like to be blind. So you need to, as you go on in your own life, always be protective of your eyes.
0: Mm, that's a good, very good point. I like that, actually.
1: Yeah, and it would be interesting. Uh, I'd love to ha- see if you would do that and follow it up. And and even the conversations themselves, I would imagine, depending on your relationship with your child, which I kind of know yours, um, <laughs> it, it would be uh, possibly a fascinating conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, so, we can try that. Actually, I'd like to do it myself.
1: Yeah, of course, and you should do yeah. it. Uh, uh, and it helps is everyone should do it because, as we get older, sometimes our vision starts failing. we're gonna be talking about failure in a little while sure
0: <laughs> next, we haven't made it to the end yet <laughs> we,
1: haven't it, we haven't even hit oh, yeah, we're in the beginning right now, that's right. We covered the middle now we're in the beginning, and yeah we'll we'll end with the end, maybe. <laughs> So any other thoughts on that before I move forward?
0: No, I think I, I, I love the way of, of creating that that awareness in children about that, the, the uh, importance of the eyes, the importance yeah. of taking care of our joints.
1: Yeah, and again, this goes back to one of my first premises, is that as a species, we don't learn things unless we have some major events. So we don't want to teach a child... Uh, how important vision is when they just had an eye taken out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, or from a bad infection from hammering something and getting a splinter in the eye. So mm-hmm. we want to start, I'm looking for some kind of a uh, an incident that would help a child develop a pattern of behavior so that as they move forward, they're always thinking about their tendons and joints. Not to the point of, I, no, I don't want to go for a walk because I might hurt my joints. but. You know, two extremes, and just be aware. So the next one is um, ears and hearing. Uh, I see, you know, many people again as we get older, we're seeing people that are dealing, having to deal with hearing aids and missing, you know, the the certain parts of decibel levels, uh, having talking with uh, an elderly uh, loved one that's losing their hearing. Sometimes it's very difficult for everyone. It's, it it even gets exhausting because the person is realizing they're losing it and they're trying really hard to listen. I watch this all the time and the others are trying to speak louder and more slowly, which is uh, the more slowly part may be okay at times, but, uh, there's a lot of difficulties. Plus you can't enjoy certain things that you used to enjoy. You may not be able to listen to music as easily. You may miss great uh, conversations and a number of things. So, uh, there are many different ways you can hurt your ears. There's a lot of people out there now that are surfers, you know, on the coasts that are damaging their ears. Mm -hmm. They even have a term now for surfers ear and people end up having, uh, infections in their ears they start losing hearing of course there's many reasons for losing hearing that are not things that we can necessarily protect or prevent or prepare for but there are some things and it's always good to have ear checkups and i should have said also before obviously getting eye checkups you know periodically from either an ophthalmologist which is an md or an optometrist who's someone who checks vision and makes glasses and corrective lenses but either one would be good as a, a first step, mm-hmm. but also getting your ears checked out. So there's also tinnitus, which is the you know that high pitched sound that sometimes drives many people uh, crazy when they can't get rid of it, and it's really a terrible thing. But of course, most important again is the loss of hearing. So my suggestion is to take a child and take away their hearing for uh, you know put earmuffs over them so they can't hear anything and of course don't connect it to an an eye something
0: <laughs> an eye <I> something <laughs>
1: <laughs> just leave it disconnected or as Heidi Harrison says unplug <laughs> uh, so take away their hearing and have them spend uh, five minutes an hour a complete day without hearing and then also again point out those are people without hearing and have problems, et cetera. The elderly or, or kids that can't hear, and they're doing sign language, uh, pointing that out and then bringing, bringing in the concept of you have to have an awareness of your ears and protecting them for the rest of your life. And that means you can damage them listening to extremely loud music or loud sounds all the time. So that's my uh, third one. Any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea. I love these ideas of t- removing it. But I think it should be removed from everybody. Because I have to say, the the middle generation, so to say, that are dealing with the elderly, Glenn, they mm-hmm. have no idea what these folks are going through. And all I hear is criticism of, oh, they can't hear me again. Oh, you know, it's like, oh, and they try to pretend that they can hear me. And they can't, you know, it's like, well, take your hearing away from yourself for a day or even dull it and yeah. see how you really feel, you know, and, and then put yourself in their position. And they, it doesn't feel good.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, that's absolutely right. Actually, this, this conversation is for everybody uh, to think about. Uh, it's a funny story I have with my parents as they were getting elderly. They're both uh, passed on now, but uh, as they were getting elderly, they both needed hearing aids and when I would come and visit them, I would sit in the back seat. My father would drive and uh, my mother would be in the right front passenger seat. And, and at, at certain points uh, when we were driving, I noticed that my dad, they both wore hearing aids. My dad would turn off his right ear, which is the one closest to my mother. And, <laughs> I ask and, why. and my mother would turn off her left ear <laughs> closest to my father so that they didn't have to hear each other. <laughs> or maybe hyster- you
0: were too loud in the back seat with your brother.
1: Yeah. No, but I would just be very quiet watching because uh, what became hysterically funny, at least for me, was that uh, each one, not wanting to hear the other, but would be, because they had the other hearing aid, they could hear sounds. So one of them would start out and go, What? What? Did you say something? No. What? No. <laughs> They would never turn on that that one earring (laughs) aid. but They would have this conversation. It just cracked me up all the time.
0: Too much. (laughs) Uh,
1: It it was very funny. And the last one I want to talk about for the beginning, uh, and this is very important, I think, also. uh, And Ann Diamond talked about this, uh, the social worker therapist, family therapist. uh, Talked about some of the things that you did have control over. And the last one I want to talk about today uh, is posture. Mm. And I know that uh, kids, you know, parents are always saying, stand up straight, stand up straight. But I think, uh, and there are certain obvious diseases of the spine that uh, can't be helped by posture, you know, that some of them may g- be genetic or things like that. But certainly uh, being aware of your spine and your posture. I was at a spine conference a few uh weeks ago and they showed interestingly they showed a skeleton from the side view of a four-legged animal and they seemed to imply that this is the way a spine should be you know where you're looking at it horizontal to the plane of the ground you can picture that right yep okay so then they had next to it Uh, a human who was in an upright standing position uh, looking from the side and you saw the skeleton and you saw the spine and then you saw that it this is what our spine is and we're not really meant to be like that because gravity keeps pulling us down and it starts pushing down on each vertebrae more and more and then that compresses spinal nerves and then people get the the syndromes like sciatica with a pain going down the leg or the nerve pains in the arm or numbness in a finger or a hand or limited range of motion. But usually it starts with pain, degenerative disc disease, things like that. And one of the also important ones you see are the elderly people that have what we call kyphosis. And that's Mm -hmm. the rounding of the upper back where You know, the, the shoulders are humped a little bit Mm. and the head is way forward and they're, you know, their normal height would be six inches taller if they were able to stand straight or eight inches taller. But you see these elderly people that are bent over and they showed that, uh, a picture of a human skeleton in that form also. So all three were together. The the four-legged animal with the horizontal spine, the two-legged animal with the vertical spine, and then this hunched-over kyphotic person. And and they were describing it almost as if the person, the kyphotic person, is trying to get back to being an animal and being on all fours again. Hmm. But as a human, we can't do that. So we have to protect against that. And it's really important to, I think, not just teach kids say stand up straight stand up straight but to again cause them to be in a position of of something that they don't want i think rather than saying always stand up straight bend them over for a day or for five <laughs> 5 minutes or 10 minutes or a half hour whatever it is to where they are in a position and then as we did with each of the others Connect it to, as you're out and about during the day, point out and observe a person that may be like that to express to them, this is what I'm talking about. Mm. This happens over a period of time. Now, sometimes there are things, as I said, that that are out of our hands. But if you have the ability to be aware of posture and to be always correcting it from a point of view of, this is what I could be life like. And this, this will go back to my original point of suffering limitation, limited motion, limited mobility, uh, medications. All of this is what life is going to be like for all of us. If we don't take care of these things.
0: Mm. Very good. Yes. Uh, that's funny. You brought that up because actually I did do that with my child. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> untie him how long has it been Eight years?
0: well it's one of the you're right you know sometimes you know you, you uh, as a mother you get to the point where you just don't want to be the nag so you just go with it you go, okay well let's see how long you can do this for then <laughs> and I'd go right. no 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 slush back over no 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 slush back over right. it's like I'm getting tired of it oh good
1: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, but, but I think it also needs to be connected to a reality of pointing out a person when you're out and about, saying, remember we did that little experiment where you were hunched over and you didn't like it? Well, there's a person who also doesn't like it, but they can't stand up straight like you still can.
0: Yes. Oh, definite connection. I have members of the family that are like that. Sure. So, it we was all like do. Oh, That's what I'm going to be like if you don't start. <laughs> you know, if you're not careful.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, we all do. So, it's we don't have to really go very far to find examples of it. Yes. Yes.
0: And you know what's very interesting to me? Now, now I'm going to jump to sort of uh middle life. With people who have started that whole rounding of the back, um, uh, that you know, when I say, you know, why don't what about lying back or stretching or doing a little gentle, gentle stretches? Or you, oh no, that feels so uncomfortable,
1: <laughs> right?
0: That they, they're almost given in. Well, this is the way it's supposed to be, don't you know? Like everyone goes through this, and I am aging, and and it's accepted,
1: Glenn. That's what, that's, uh, this is a great example. Not a great example. This is the perfect segue into the next part of our topic, which is end of life and failure. But I do want to stay on this for a a few more moments. There are many great exercises. Pilates is a great form of an exercise. We were with, uh, we interviewed, I think both of us interviewed Kyrie Sherman, who does Mm -hmm. the Tai Chi for kids in schools. Uh, there's a lot of things that can be done that can be simple and fun to help kids learn about posture. But the key key here for all of these things in my mind is to teach a child an awareness so that as a pattern of behavior, they themselves are thinking about their vision. They themselves are correcting their posture at all times. Uh, or Or at least every once in a while they're checking in with their body, you know to see is it aligned is am I doing the right things? Am I starting to go into a bad program here with posture all of these things it's a it's a concept that they need to develop the pattern and behavior that will have them have an awareness that will check in and repair it quickly, so mm-hmm. as soon as you see that oh you're not standing correctly, or as soon as you recognize that you're hammering something and your glasses aren't on. You immediately check that and stop and go to the good, bad and pattern of behavior and correct it for the protection of lack of suffering in the future.
0: Mm, mm, good point. Very good point.
1: So we're moving to, we're now moving. We started in the middle We're we went to the beginning and now we're coming to the end of life. <clears throat> and I want to talk about failure first. Uh, Failure usually is not a word that any of us like. We don't like to fail in our report card, get failing grades. We don't like to fail at a task. Uh, we certainly, from a medical point of view, we don't like to hear the terms of our different organs that are failing. Congestive heart failure or kidney failure or liver failure. All of these things are bad for us or we don't. they have a negative connotation. So what I'm trying to do today is to give a positive connotation to failure a little bit. And I use as, as my energy for this and my icon, uh, weightlifters and bodybuilders, Hmm. weightlifters and bodybuilders are probably one of the few groups of people that actually pride themselves in failure because when you are working out a muscle, and you want to make it bigger or more shaped or stronger, you actually have to take that muscle to failure where it can't do what you want it to do. If you always keep it at a position where it can do exactly what you want to do, then it says to itself, we don't need to do anything else. We've got it covered. But if you start uh, exercising and say, you want to have a bigger bicep, or be stronger. So you have to go to stronger, heavier weights so that when the muscle fails, now it says, well, the next time I do this, I better be more prepared and it gets stronger and bigger. So for weightlifters and bodybuilders, they uh, appreciate failure. And what I see in, in people, if they're lucky enough to live to a certain age then things start happening to them at various points where they have to start recognizing failure and compensating for it. For for example, a person that's an athlete that hurts a, a lower extremity joint and can't be an athlete anymore, they don't end their life. They accept that process as a little bit of failure, and now I'm going to find something else that I can do to replace that. And as we all see, people as they age, they're uh lungs start failing so they can't be all as active now of course this isn't everyone um hearts start failing a little so they get out of breath a little more when they're walking but they still do things uh the vision starts going bad and they compensate a little first they get glasses then they have different types of surgeries and then they just say well this is my vision uh the same thing with hearing all of these things it's a question of It's going to happen if you protect yourself and do some of the things that we said and, of course, many other things. um, Then you have a better chance of not failing as rapidly or maybe not failing as completely or not failing at all until the final uh, few moments, which we're going to speak about in the final portion of our show. Um, But I think... Most of us seem to have some ability to compensate with whatever we have. But what I'm uh, advocating here is a recognition that there might be and will be failures in certain parts and that we should accept part of it gracefully. And that's all I can say in this particular part of that is that when, when we stress out about it, We shouldn't be stressing out at the point when we've lost it. We should be dealing with it at an early age so that we either prevent it or prepare for it. And at the end, when things are happening and failing, we say, I did, I did really well. So this is just part of it and I'm graceful with it. And therefore you don't add at the time of your, uh, later elder years, you're not stressed out about all these failures. So Mm -hmm. it's just a, concept I'm thinking about right now I could change my mind at some point <laughs> but uh you know as I see things in myself that begin to fail and how you compensate and you compensate if you compensate gracefully you're much better off mhm
0: mhm but I I do believe that's all through life too Glenn and and more so as uh we all get older and the elderly. But I, I also notice that when the people that I work with that are like in their late 80s, <laughs> early 90s, there's almost a peace that begins to, an acceptance and a peace that begins to come over them. It's like, okay, I'm in my late 80s or I'm in my 90s. What do you expect? It's okay. Yeah. And I can still do. And they're so grateful when they can still walk around, or, or they're still living on their own, or they're still able to walk to the grocery store, even with their walker. <laughs> you know, they're so oh, right. grateful. You know, it's it's um, they've come to terms with what's going on, and they know that their end of life is coming up shortly. You know, not twenty years, whatever. They they've lived a good life, and and it's all okay. And if they, even if they lived a hard life. It they have a certain peace about them that is so beautiful.
1: That's the point. To have the peace with that failure.
0: But we would would you call it failure?
1: Well it's case? a it's you know if a muscle is designed to do something and then it can't do it anymore, it's a failure of the muscle. Mm. If the eyes are designed to see acutely, you know, proper colors fine areas, central vision, peripheral vision, uh light and dark, near and close. That's what the eye is designed to see. Over time, things happen and those are you know, I mean, we can we yeah. I guess we could debate the word failure, but I'm just using it for the for the fun of this uh topic. <laughs> I want to you know, since I'm being a little bit maybe provocative or controversial I may as well look from a different point of view. Nobody likes failure, so I'm going to advocate failure.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, but gracefully.
0: <laughs> fail gracefully, I like that.
1: <laughs> fail, fail with grace. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, my.
1: So now we're, how much time do we have left? Oh, I guess.
0: you have about uh, 12 minutes.
1: Oh, 12 minutes. So I'm going to rush through this a little bit. So now we're coming to the end of life. And I
0: thought we just made it there.
1: <laughs> no, 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 we're still way, That's <laughs> the more.
0: rebirth, thank you. <laughs> no, we, ha-
1: we haven't even hit rebirth yet. But this, this could be an important part of rebirth. I want to talk about um, as a person comes to end of life. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a 95-year-old. That could also mean a 10-year-old with leukemia. Mm-hmm. but for but for the beginning part although we're doing a lot of great things with the leukemias now so maybe i need to think we're doing a lot of great things with everything many people that had things years ago that they were dying from are living now and doing fairly well so there's lots of good things but still uh there's no guarantee uh, when the end of life is going to come so there needs to be preparation so for the beginning of this uh I'm mainly talking about people that are middle-aged to elderly and I'm going to advocate this is very straightforward that everybody get an advance directive and <clears throat> what that is it's it's some kind of a special document that will help you as a person when you're in good condition and can make decisions to figure out what you want when you are not in a position to make decisions this is very important and it's something that everybody should do because there's a lot of stress at least in the western world about death and dying and the stress is first of all usually for the person that is near death but also for loved ones and friends family members number of other people, they're not sure what to do. And I deal with this every day as a medical guide. You know, do we, the proverbial pull the plug, do we give pain medicine? Do we go to hospice? Do we go to long-term care? Do we do nothing? Do we look for surgery? uh, How much do we want to do? These are very difficult questions and it's almost not fair as a person to put the decision on someone else when they don't have the true idea of what you want to do. And especially if there might be multiple family members with different relationships with mom or different relationship with dad and everyone wants their opinion, uh, to be followed. So this advanced, uh, healthcare directive is something that everyone should get. It's usually, uh, can be gotten from, Uh, The government, it can be gotten from your physician, possibly a hospital, many places. It just simply uh, tells others and instructs others as to the decisions you want to be made. And this is the way it should be. It takes the burden off of everybody. Uh, There are uh, things that have to be done. You have to point uh, an agent, someone that will do it. You have to give them instructions on your health care. Do you want to be resuscitated? Do you want pain medication? Do you want fever control? Do you want to be comfortable? Uh, A number of things like that. Uh, The thing that happens to people is, one, they don't want to talk about it. And two, they usually hear the bad marketing, like, oh, if I, if I do an advanced directive, that means, you know, if I have a sore throat and I go to the doctor, well, they're going to kill me for my organs. So or they're not going to help me because I said I don't want to be resuscitated. The advanced uh-huh. directive has many parts to it that are misconceptions. A person can always change anything they want to on the advanced directive. It isn't something that has to be, once you write at age 50, it isn't necessarily going to be the same at age 80. You can change it, but you have some protection there. So that's a big misconception. And you can you can change all sorts of things. You can change uh, the person that you chose. Originally, it might've been your doctor and then uh, you change doctors, or it might've been, you know, you're uh, a sister and you don't want that sister to do it anymore. You could change all of these things. It becomes a legal document, but it also can be overridden. Um, if you are of sound mind and want to have another discussion while you're in the hospital, you can do certain things with witnesses. It's all protected. The thing that's important is it's a, it's a form and the form itself is pretty simple and straightforward. The difficult part of it is the complexity of the conversations you have to have. And these conversations, if you have them and if you use the form to bring them up, or you could have it with uh, a physician, uh, a clergy member, a social worker, other friends, get together and talk about things like that, family members. It's very complex, but it's actually very healing and stress reducing. And so, this is an important thing that I think we all need to do. Now there's, uh, do you have any thoughts on that for a second? I want to talk about another type of, 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 a program that's out there aside from, but similar to the advanced director directive mm-hmm. called the five wishes. I don't know if you've heard of that.
0: Oh yes. I think you actually, uh, uh informed me about that uh, last, this year sometime, mm-hmm. which is a, a very wonderful site actually.
1: Yeah, it's really good. So uh, did you, uh, Did you uh, look for, I don't mean, did you look for, do you have any thoughts on the advanced directive? Um,
0: I think it's a very important piece that needs, that everybody needs to have in place, Um, especially at almost any age. (laughs) Right. Once you become an adult and you, you are out there in the world, um, it's, it's a good piece to be conscious about and to put in place in respect of those around you. And I loved what you said about it can be changed at any time, it can be changed, I can change it today and next week change my mind and change it again, you know, depending on, on who's in my life at the time and and quite possibly I'll listen to one of our shows and kind of go, oh, I can do that now? I mean, who knows, Glenn, what is going, who knows what is going to um be in the scientific medical world in five years from now. I mean, it's advancing so quickly.
1: Exactly. We've even just, uh, we've even declared that the, you know, you've heard for forever that once your heart stops and you stop breathing, you have about four minutes before your brain dies. Have you heard that before?
0: No, I have
1: not. Uh, Well, that was, that was the, uh, that was what was out there. When we in the emergency department had to make decisions, and we found somebody was uh, without a heartbeat and without breath for you know a certain period of time, that helps us to decide whether we should attempt to resuscitate or not. We our normal default is to resuscitate, but if you know someone hasn't been breathing for two days and your heart their heart hasn't been beating for a week, uh, then you don't resuscitate. But we always used to use as our guideline around four minutes because. Resuscitating someone and bringing them back with brain damage was not necessarily a victory. Mm-hmm. So, but that, that time has extended now through science and research. So, so you're definitely correct. They're actually, uh, when you talk about the advanced directive, they, they give this thing whenever you uh, want to look at your advanced directive, they call the five Ds, D is in uh, David. So they say, this is one, these are the five times when you should uh, look at your advance directive and go over it to make sure it's still what you want. One is decade, every new decade. Just look at it again. Mm. The second one is death. Whenever you experience a death of someone else, a death in the family, it's time to relook at it. And usually that happens anyway. You start thinking a little more about it. The third one is divorce. Uh, if you have a divorce in your family or uh, yourself, that's another time to look at your advanced directive. The fifth, uh, the fourth one is diagnosis: uh, when and if you're diagnosed with a, a serious health condition. And the last one is decline: when you start experiencing your own decline, and you still have the ability to make decisions, uh, then that's another time to look at it. Mm. So I want to talk about this other topic. It, it's a form of an advanced directive, but it, it's very interesting. They all have about the same things in them, but it's not in every in every state. There's about five or six, or maybe ten or ten states in the United States that don't have the Five Wishes. But you can look uh, through the government and figure it out whether your state has it. I would look at it. You could look at it online and just. Even if you don't download the form, uh, you may want to use that form as a concept for these discussions. So I want to read the five wishes to you so that I make it very clear. And then each one of these wishes allows you to have conversations. And this is how you go about figuring out the five wishes and how you want to uh, prepare for the end. Wish number one, the person I want to make healthcare decisions for me, um, when I can't make them for myself. So that's the first one. And you have discussions about that. And then you have, if you choose that person, you clearly have to have discussions with them about what they want, what you want. The second wish, uh, and Christina, let me know if you have a question about any of those. I mean, any of these, they'll probably be pretty obvious, but they <laughs> they can be, become kind of thought provoking in a way. Mm-hmm. Second wish, my wish for the kind of medical treatment I want or don't want, which would include things like life support, pain management, food and water, uh, close to death considerations, coma, or brain death, so that you have to have those discussions for each of those things. Because if you go into one of those things, and it's very possible that any one of us can go into one of those, and someone has to make that decision, and you've already written it out. Not only does it make it easier for them, but you end up with hearing the comment, Grandma wanted it that way. She'll be much happier. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that as your backup, that's a great thing for everybody. Wish number three, my wish for how comfortable I want to be. And then you can say things like, uh, You know, I want pain medication. I want enough medicine to relieve it. Even if I'm drowsy. Uh, I want to be comfortable. If I uh, have signs of depression or something like that, or shortness of breath, or I'm hallucinating, uh, what kind of care I want at that moment in time? If I'm, if I have a fever, you know, and I want a cool cloth, if I want my lips moistened, you can get very deeply into it. If if someone feels that my hands and feet are uh, cold or something, I may want a warm blanket or a massage or even you can talk about music that you might want uh and things that are around you at the time so so many things to talk about in that area but it really gives definitions and in this and this one in particular is one that i think is an important one for children uh if you have a child that is potentially dying then that may want to be a discussion uh And leave it up to you and the child psychologist of how deeply you talk about death. But certainly you can talk to the child about, oh, what what music do you want to hear around you now? What stuffed animal do you want? Do you have a video? Do you have these? Do your favorite blanket? All sorts of things like that. You can have discussions uh, if you want a certain poem that the child likes or a book to be read. These are great things that a child can talk about that will help you and ease your discomfort and theirs. So, uh, wish number four, my wish for how I want people to treat me. And so this might be how much you want them to know, uh, whether you want them to be able to hold your hand or so many other possibilities in this. And I want, I want only kind words spoken around my bedside. It, it's all sorts of great conversations that can be had in that area. And then my, the final one is my wish for what I want my loved ones to know. So it's another uh, thing that guides the discussion, guides the conversations, how much you need people to know. Uh, I really like this. Not necessarily that this is the thing, even if it's not in your state, it gives you opportunities for discussion, which I think are great. And and if you do get these, they have them in multiple languages, the five uh five wishes, I think is about a five or a six dollar fee, maybe even a uh, a little fee to send it to you or something like that. But i want to recommend definitely the advanced health care and or the five wishes to everybody
0: That's so a great that, recommendation because it's it's really important, and yes, you're right, people don't like to talk about it. I have a lot of elderly people around me, and they're not necessarily elderly, so to say, in their good 70s, and they still don't want to talk about it. Yep. You know, they ask me to be on their health <laughs> I go, We need to talk about this if you want me there. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and it's a great starting point. And if you have, uh, and instead of trying to run the conversation, if you had the actual form of the advanced directive in front of you and you could just go down it question by question then it becomes oh we're just filling out a form like an application or something like that but then as you start filling it out then you can start getting into more specific things and it's and then the discussions happen and things open up and i that's why i think the five wishes also uh the the advanced directive is it feels a little n- more this is straightforward Mm -hmm. uh whereas the five wishes starts starts giving you a soundtrack and you know uh you know a backdrop and you get to you get to really uh add to the painting or to the meal of you know of the final outcome so you really get to do things you really get to have discussions and and sometimes it could become fun we used to do things in, the, in our integrative medicine program when somebody was in the hospital and they were dying. We would either, if they wanted it, we would set up a big painting, a canvas in their room. And each person that came and visited put a little piece of, you know, painted a little thing. Uh, some people did uh, tapestries or blankets or quilts. So while a person was in the hospital or in hospice, they would come and they would add a little piece to the quilt. And then at the end, it was very nice. And it helped lots of people to be doing things at that point. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: So it's very nice because I've seen uh, one of the advantages I've had of being in emergency medicine and being in medicine and being in hospitals and being a medical guide. I see people at that very instant of death more than others do. Uh, certainly, there are some others that do, but for the average person, uh, compared to what you might see in a hospital and in medicine and emergency medicine, I've seen the reactions of the dying, the dead, and uh, the families and the grieving and all of all of the aspects that go along with it. And the more things that can be done to make it smooth and graceful and stress free. Um the better it is for everyone. Mm. On every level.
0: Mm. Wonderful. Oh, that's uh I, I am so in agreement with everything you've said, uh, Glenn. I think um it's it's one of those where to be at peace and comfortable with your decisions and knowing that those decisions can be changed at any time. Yep. And it is all a part of that end of life or mid, middle life too, that we have to become very aware of that, that anything can happen.
1: Yep, any, any moment. That was, that was the one of the true things that, um, for me, was a lesson in the emergency department at any moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and you can't predict it in terms of what you think karma might be. You know, this person who is the wonderful dad or the wonderful mom and the wonderful community member and the wonderful parent and the wonderful spouse and everything else. The wonderful professional comes in uh, hit by a drunk driver and they're paralyzed from the neck down Mm. and they're 35 years old or 40 years old and you go, wow, that that didn't make sense from a Mm -hmm. karmic point of view from that you know looking at that moment but a lot of it doesn't and it could happen to anyone at any moment so it's really good for people to know your wishes not their wishes Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely
1: so that's (sighs) life
0: there you go that is truly life in a our nutshell
1: (laughs) (laughs) we've covered life
0: Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, what is now now you always ask your guests the tip that they have.
1: The health tip? The health
0: tip. What is your health tip? I want you to ask me
1: that because every time I ask them for a health tip, I always have this concern that my tongue is going to get tied between the end of health and the beginning of tip. (laughs) And so there's that serious moment I have to have complete focus. Just to let everyone know, when I'm asking someone for their health tip, I'm very (laughs) aware that I could trip over it and start spinning and slurring and everything else. So I want to hear you say it. Ask me.
0: Well, we are here speaking to our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman, and we are ready for his health tip. That he will share with all of us.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Christine. See how tough that was? Health <laughs> or tip. maybe not. You're an experienced <laughs> thespian. So maybe not in your case. we have to get Segovia to try it. <laughs> okay, so here's my um, health tip for today. <clears throat> there are 86,400 seconds in one day. Hmm. In general, it seems to me that everyone could take a few seconds to be grateful and then another few seconds to honor your own health and check in on your health to make sure you're in balance. So out of 86,400 seconds, a few seconds a day. Seems to me pretty easy, and that's my health tip.
0: That's a that's a good piece of awareness. I like that one. Just a few seconds, everyone.
1: Just a few seconds. You have eighty-six thousand four hundred.
0: <laughs> Can you just spare a few? Yeah. <laughs> just to send that out.
1: I'm not asking that much. <laughs> what am I asking? <laughs> just for a few seconds. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And on that note, I will take a few seconds to let you know how grateful we are, uh, Dr. Glenn Woolman, for Mm -hmm. this wonderful piece of life that you've shared with us today and bringing the awarenesses of of what we can do to actually live life at a more conscious level and uh, hopefully uh, we will all try some of those little pebbles in the shoes and a little blindfolding and a little mm. bit of uh, earmuffs or earplugs, uh, no matter what age you are, and uh, see what it feels like. See if it brings some new new awarenesses to, to your life. It's wonderful.
1: Thank you, and I'm grateful to just being here and doing what we do, and uh, grateful to our audience, and we look forward to uh, seeing you again in another week as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy searching for optimal health.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Glenn Woolman, and of course to Segovia Smith and the Yoga Hub team for making this possible, and to you for joining us on this new platform of education and information. We're always grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman by following him on Twitter, at Glenn Woolman, and of course through his own website, glennwoolman.com, where I really encourage you to learn about his metaphor, Square Breath, And you can use that at any age, beginning, middle, or end. Again, we're grateful for your feedback and support. Give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. And until next time, namaste.